What an awesome declaration today. Y'all can be seated if you can. The whole idea that we can be victorious, that we can walk in victory. The enemy has been defeated, not will be defeated. That's a beautiful reality that is sadly so far and distant removed from so many of us. As much as that is a reality in truth and scripture and with God, and we, we know as followers of Christ that is supposed to be true, there's that reality. There's the God reality that that is the case. That is Romans chapter 6 last week when we talked about not having dominion, not having reign, not being a prisoner any longer and things like that. We, we know from, from Romans 6 that that the enemy's been defeated. But the thing is, is that so many of us are living in Romans 7. We are living in our reality. We're living in the reality that we haven't somehow been able to conquer those demons, as we call them, those dark spots, if you will, in our life. And so we find ourselves stuck. And again, you may not, and as I still am a very much a student of the scriptures, be able to figure this, 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 the whole story of God's story in my life and how all that fits together. But I tell you what, there's one thing I think we can all, there's one passage I think we can all read and we can all say, I get that one. I, I understand Romans 7 better than I understand Romans 6. And so I want us today to reread what we read last week, but I want to, to read it in, in, in the message. Kind of a, kind of a more to modern day language. I normally read out the, the English Standard Version, which is what I carry with me all the time. But I want us to reread what we read last week. From the message, I think it will even bring it closer to home. So just follow along as I read. What I don't understand about myself is. Now, that's, that's worth just writing a, an entire paragraph right there. There are certain things that I don't understand about Lori, and I've been married to her for 23 years. But the reality is there are certain things that I don't even understand about myself, all right? And I can't figure some things out about myself. But here's one of those, is that I decide one way. But then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me... Now that's a very key phrase. The power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I absolutely need help. I added the statement, I'm stuck. I don't know how many of you just can identify just with the first part of that first passage that we read that there are some things I don't understand about myself. I want to do what's right, but I don't do what's right. Even when I know the law, even when I know what I'm supposed to do. My mother taught me, my grandmother taught me, the school reinforced it. Uh, I don't know, social order reinforced it. Uh, my, the Bible tells me, but I just, I, I can't get it. I'm, I I'm obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to be bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me. Something has gone wrong deep within me. That's what we're talking about. For five weeks, we are going to talk about what has gone wrong 
deep within every single one of us. And if we can't be honest here, I, I don't know where you can be honest. This world is full of pretentious jobs. You've got to watch your back, you, all that kind of stuff. I hope that we can create an environment of authenticity and transparency that you can find a, a, a way and a place that you can say to yourself and to others, something is deeply wrong within me and I need help in this process. And I tell you what we've got to stop doing is we've got to stop responding the way we've always been responding because we're just going to get the same results. And that is no effectual change in our life. We've been very good for many years in our culture at concealing and coping. We tell people to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. We tell them not to cry. We tell keep, keep a stiff upper lip. We tell them to hide it deep inside of them. Real men don't cry. Don't show your weak side. People will see that. They will take advantage of that. We raise that up in our culture. And so when in our life, who we really are, we conceal and we cope. We just grin and bear it. We just push through it. We just go on with it. And there are certain areas that that, when we do that, that just, that just adds to the stuckness that we have to deal with. And this areas that we get stuck are so common, and a lot of this is review because I know that there's a lot of new folks faces with us today. And so I, give me the time and the leeway just to kind of review and catch everyone up to speed. Then next week, you're just going to have to know all this, all right? Because we're going to, we're going to plow into a whole new different area next week. So, uh, but this week, let's just kind of do a quick re- review on where we get stuck so often. One is dark alleys. These dark alleys, I don't want to go to, you don't want to go to, you don't want to take anybody there, you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to. It was something that happened to you, something that happened around you, something that you saw, something that you experienced. It could be, it could be intentional, it could be uh, indirect, it could be any number of ways, but this is a very dark spot of your life. And you don't go there. And you won't even take your spouse there. You won't even take your best friend there. But until we can find light in that dark alley, I'm afraid that we are not living full and free as we should. Another is detours. This is a place that where a lot of people get stuck on detours. They go from one detour to another detour to try to figure out how to get back on track. And they're just chasing themselves. And many times it's pride, possessions, and pleasures that they just end up chasing again and again and again and again. And they never find their course. They never get enough stuff. They never have enough job. They never have a big enough title. They never have enough of a paycheck. They don't have a big enough house. They don't have, they don't have. And all of that is life pursuing it. And they get to the end of of their life and their day and it's just as empty as it was when they started. Detours. Also, people get stuck in ruts. Ruts that they, that, that, again, that they've had for years. Maybe they, they grew up seeing these ruts performed out. These are addictions. These are habits that, that are formed sometimes at a very early age. And they simply, they become generational sins. They can go on from one generation to the next. And you get into this rut and you can't seem to get out of it. Your spouse has said, you've got to get help. You spend money getting help. You've gone to seminars getting help. And somehow it doesn't help the rut. And maybe it does help the rut. Maybe you're able to get out of that rut, but you just find yourself in another rut. And again, living that out. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will deal with, I'll say six months or longer, you will deal with the temptation to stall out. That's when you learn a very dangerous ability. Your children learn it whenever they're twos. We call them the terrible twos because of this. It's when, when a child of God learns to say no to God. 
Now think about it. How long does it take your children to learn that? Again, terrible twos at least. At the latest, they learn no to you. That rebellious spirit is inside of every single one of us. And we somehow learn to say no to God. And that is a very dangerous habit. But a lot of people get into that habit. Now I say all of this to say that this is all good and great in that this is the reality that we face. But how do I get out of this? Jesus is supposed to be the answer to all questions, right? And he is the answer to these questions. But the problem is, and here's a life principle for you. The problem is, is that being born again isn't enough to fix the sin addiction, the emotional alleys, the habitual ruts, or the stall outs in our faith. Now that may really grate against the skin of some of you, because I do believe that that a relationship with Jesus Christ will solve these issues, will work through them. But if all it is is being a church member, being baptized, being saved, being discipled in some body life group or something like that, and that's supposed to fix it, it won't. It's not enough. I'll tell you about a man named Simon. A real guy who was real successful, quite accomplished, quite successful in what he did. In fact, this is what it was said of him and in the message. It says this of him. It says, he was a famous man, dazzling all. He had them all from the children to the old men eating out of his hands. This Simon individual was a very influential person, a, a, a strong, powerful person that had had a reach, had a touch that went a long, long ways. And all of a sudden, this man named Simon becomes a believer. First of all, he was a spiritual man. Many of you in this room are spiritual people. I would count you as a spiritual person simply because you're here. You would count yourself as a spiritual person simply because you believe in a higher power or something like that. There are a lot of spiritual people in our world. It's very common. But Simon became a saved man. That's beautiful. Great story. We're going to look at that story today really quickly. But the story doesn't end there. Simon was also a bound man. He somehow was freed from the penalty of sin, from the, the damnation of sin, from the, from that, that curse of sin, but he was not freed, listen to this, from the reality of sin in his daily life. Now, I know you can't separate those two out because that's really an oxymoron. Any theologian will tell you that. But I want to say in the practical world of where we live, I can be a follower of Christ and still, as Paul clearly displays, still struggle in the grips, in the pains, in the throes of sin every day of my life. Take your Bibles and we find in the book of Acts chapter 8. When we talk about Simon, I cannot emphasize enough how, how influential this person was. He, was. he was Simon, nicknamed the Great, and we'll read that here in just a moment. But he was so influential, Justin Martyr in the first century, a first century early church father, said in his writings that Simon the Great had a statue in Rome dedicated to him in Rome. Now think about that. If you, you know anything about the geography of it all, Simon was in Samaria, just north of Jerusalem, but yet his influence, his reach was across ocean, land, and sea into Europe, into Rome. 
He was a highly influential person. Some people have even credited, credited Simon as being the founder or the initiator of the Gnostic movement. I don't know about that. But the point is, is that this is no small character that we speak of. In fact, when you read here with me, uh, you'll find that he himself, he himself believed quite highly in himself. Verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. So he was not, not necessarily a humble individual saying that he himself was somebody great and he had made uh, paid uh, and everyone paid attention to him from the least to the greatest so everybody's looking at him he's looking at him everybody's everybody's admiring him everybody's honoring him and this man is the power of god that is called great this word that they use for great over and over again here is the word uh, megas which is the word we get mega from, mega millions. Uh, when you think of mega, you think of huge uh, a monstrosity of something. Well, this guy was that kind of guy of that level of influence. Keep on reading with me. And they, they paid attention to him because of a, uh, uh, for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And notice verse 13. It's almost as if this is such a significant person, probably the most influential person to come to Christ as of yet. They dedicated an entire verse, verse 13, to just highlighting Simon. In case there's any confusion here, it's not Simon over here and everybody else over here, but all these people became believers in Samaria and also Simon. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing the signs and the great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, I want to say this, and I don't have time to delve into it all, but there have been a whole lot of people trying to debate debate about whether or not Simon was really a believer. Well, let me say this. He had to be a believer if the other people were believers because the same word for believed of the other people in verse 12 is used for Simon in verse 13. He was a believer. In fact, not only that, he became a baptized believer. Not only that, if you'll notice there, he also becomes a follower of Philip. He becomes a disciple of Philip. In one translation, it says he began following Philip. Another translation said he stayed constantly with Philip. When Simon was in, he was all in. As much as he knew that he could be in, he got in the game and he was fully uh, uh, following Christ. And as far as we know, the first named Samaritan believer is Simon. Now, I'm giving you a lot of history here, but please, this is extremely important. What we're doing today is I want to give you a narrative example of what it looks like to be stuck. I kind of pitched something out to you last week, kind of rocked some of your worlds last week, but I want to bring it a little bit to a, a, a narrative form this week. I believe with all my heart that Simon became a believer and was truly redeemed and born again. But let me tell you this. If you think for one skinny minute that Satan's going to roll over and play dead when you become a follower of him, you need to wake up to the reality. 
He's not giving up on you. He's not giving in on you. He's not throwing in the towel on you. He wants to do everything he can to wound you, to cripple you, to, to, to silence you, to destroy you as much as he can. Even though he may not have access to your soul, your spirit, and for all eternity, he still wants to defeat you. Adrian Rogers said it like this, Satan wants to cripple us and then blame us for limping. It's a good statement. We started talking about last week, and I really don't have time to go into all of it, but just for review, we started talking about some buckets, and that life is like a bunch of buckets. And this first bucket represents the work bucket of our life. We spend most of our time working or thinking about work or hoping that we'll get promoted at work. And so this bucket is typically the biggest, not necessarily the most priority, but it is the biggest bucket. In fact, I will say this, size doesn't matter in this example. Because this is probably the least of our priorities. This would be a larger priority, and this represents the family. This is the domestic bucket. This is where the home is, where the heart is. We work so that we can take care of this. This family represents our hobby bucket. This is the bucket that represents the Razorbacks, okay? That's just my own invention there. But uh, that that's, could be yours, could be a different color, could be a different interest, could be different hobbies, could be your fantasy football team, could be your gym membership, could be any number of things. But that is a hobby. Now, your hobbies will never be bigger than your family, hopefully not, or you won't have a family. They'll leave you. But uh, nonetheless, this is a part of our life and how it works together. We do have a new bucket in the past 10 years. This is the social media bucket. This is the polished bucket. Everything looks nice. Everything looks fun. That's a fun family. That's a fun person. The Photoshop, photos on Facebook, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But there's another bucket that we cannot miss. This bucket is broken. If you can see it, it's in thousands of pieces put back together. This bucket is a private bucket that we don't bring out. We kind of hide this bucket. But it is a very real bucket. It is what carries us through the nights or keeps us awake at night because we can't live with ourselves. It's, it, it's the brokenness of our own life and of our own soul that we can't figure it out. We try to. We piece it back together. We try to function in some kind of relational form. But then there's an even more mysterious bucket that really most people don't talk about. Even some counselors deny And that's a darker bucket. It's a bucket that I want to call sin. But this sin, literally, as I said, size doesn't matter in this example. In fact, I will say the smallest bucket in this example may carry the greatest weight and the greatest influence of the whole. And if we don't figure out this bucket, we're really on a road, on a course that's very dangerous and unhealthy. Simon was a person who started getting his buckets in order, started getting his soul in order. He was getting things in order, but he had not fully dealt with all the things of his life. And I want to look at that. When you do a checklist on Simon as we sit there in red, I want to say, was Simon a genuine? Did he give his life to following Christ? Would he make a profession of faith? Absolutely. You can't get away from that. Two, did Simon, had he shown that he wanted to truly walk with God? Absolutely. You saw him walking with Philip hand in hand, staying with him consistently and continually. Did Simon still have a portion of his life that wasn't fully God's? Absolutely. We're going to see that in just a moment. Did Simon... Did Satan expose Simon's last 15%? Absolutely. See, Simon wanted something. 
He was a very wealthy mega influencer, entertainer, magician, whatever you want to call him. But at the same time, he wanted that same power for himself. And when you look at this passage, let's, let's go to the next passage of, uh, of Scripture, wherever, where you find where, where, where Simon is going to struggle with something here. Now, what is he going to struggle with? What, where, is he going to, where are we going to find him stuck? Is it a dark alley? Is, are we going to find him stuck in some detour? Are we going to find him stuck in some rut? We're going to find him stuck in a detour. He's going to be stuck in a detour if you go back and you just kind of remember what we've talked about. But let's keep, let's keep plowing through this. So if you go down uh, to uh, verse uh, 14 and 15, it says, Now when the apostle uh, at Jerusalem heard of Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Now this was very customary. They did this with Barnabas to Antioch. They wanted to verify that God was at work, and so they did that. They wanted to see, Simon, are you really a believer? All these people, are you really believers? They were verifying. Then you go down to verse 18 and 19, and this is where you see the detour in Simon's life. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Okay, you and I would probably cringe at that as Peter cringes at that. And then what happens there is he literally says, give me, give me this. He says, saying, give me this power also so that anyone in whom I lay my hands on... uh, may receive the Holy Spirit. Was his intentions good? Was he right? Was he wrong? What was happening there? Peter saw through this, and he calls him out on it. That he was longing for the money again. He was longing for the possessions again. He got his eyes off of the real message, and he became, he got on a detour, and he got off track. Now, I want to show you two When we're talking about today living the contradiction, we're looking at Simon and how he lived this contradiction. How 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 does a person live out this contradiction in in our lives? Well, here's number one. As a free person, I live bound. As a free person, I've been set free in Christ. Isn't that what the Bible says? Say this verse with me. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you've ever heard that verse before, raise your hand. All right, most of you. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I have quoted that verse. God set me free. God help me to be free. Help me to walk free because if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And that's a true reality. But sometimes it's not my reality. Sometimes I'm still captive. Sin, I want to say today, is like Velcro. All right? And across this stage and at some tables in the back, you're going to be given an opportunity to play with some Velcro in a little bit. But right now I get to play with the Velcro. You know about Velcro. You know that there's a soft side and there's a hard side to Velcro. There's the soft side that you would want to lay your head on at night. It was a pillow. It was a piece of clothing. You would love to just lay against the soft side of Velcro. There's the hard side of Velcro as well. And you can't separate the two because Velcro only works whenever these are together. It's an interesting story, and I don't have time to tell it, on how Velcro was invented. It's actually a guy in, in Switzerland who was walking in 1944 or something like that, and on a vacation walking his dog, and some cuckleburrs got on his socks, and he had to one by one pick them off. And that started the process of him inventing Velcro. Think about that. You didn't think you'd get history when you came today. Verse 23 is a picture of where you see 
Peter looking into Simon's life and pointing out a stuck area of his life. Now look at verse 23. It says, for I see. Please listen to this very carefully. Everybody listen. Peter is going to get really bold. He's going to get all up in his grill here in just a moment. And he's going to tell Simon how the cow ate the cabbage. Now, if you don't know what that means, I'll explain it to you after the service. He is going to get in him, okay? But I love this fact about, about Peter because Peter, look at this, for I see. You need people, I need people in my life who, is not, who are not afraid to tell me what I don't want to hear who will get in my grill, who will get in my face, who will lovingly say, listen, this is not right about you. And that's exactly what Peter does to him. He doesn't give him the secret potion. He doesn't pass it on to him or anything like that. He calls him out. And this is what he says. What I see, what I see in you is that you have the gall of bitterness. I don't know where the bitterness came from. I don't know where that was, but Peter saw something in him. And again, we don't know much of the story beyond this, but there was some unresolved anger that was hanging out in Simon. And we don't have time to speculate, and we could speculate from one end of the spectrum to the other. I'm not going to go there. I want to go to the next phrase, because he also says, and you are in the bond of iniquity. The bond of iniquity. That Greek word means to be held captive. In other translations, it literally is translated to be held captive, to be a prisoner of, to be in chains is what another translation says. You are chained, Simon. You have... Listen, go back to the beginning. Remember verse 13? Remember that beautiful verse? He got saved. He got baptized. He was discipled by Philip. And now you have Peter saying, you're bound. There's something that's not right with you. This is the tension of the Christian reality. Is that even though we can be free and set free, we can still walk in chains. Live in chains. And not live as free people. This word to be bound is actually translated also in, uh, in Colossians chapter 2 verse 19 when it's talking about the body of Christ being fit and knitted together. It says the whole body supported, held together by ligaments and those things which tie it together, bind it together. You don't take your right arm off and leave it at home. You don't take, well, you, sometimes you leave your brain at home, but I mean, you know, you don't, your kids do anyway, I'm sure. But I mean, you don't separate body parts from body parts and pick them up later. You're tied together. Peter's saying, Simon, you, you, you're stuck. You're wrapped up. You've been sewn in, this something's been sewn into your life and it's going to take power and force and friction and noise to get it out of your life. You'll be given an opportunity in a moment to come to the stage across the front. And again, there are tables gathered around the room where, where I'm going to challenge you to think of your life and I want you to think of it in the term of Velcro. Because Velcro only works when it's together. 
We're sold the soft side. We're sold the, 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 the fun side. We're, we're sold that this is what it's going to be like if you, if you take part in this, if you take this on as a, as a habit. We're sold this. But the reality is we also have a very rough side. And then when those two go together, we find ourselves prisoners. And I want you to be thinking of an area of your life, one area, you can think of five, but I want you to zero in on one area of your life where you find yourself stuck, where you've bitten down and you've taken the soft side, but you realize you've also gotten the cucklebur side, if you will, or the bristly side, and it's now sticking and stinging and it's not feeling real good against your life. And I'm going to ask you to take that one word and, and remember it and go to the, go to the table of the stage here and, and to take it off the plastic and on the sticky side, because notice this, sin is also very sticky. Once you take it, it doesn't get let go of you very easily. In fact, it's, it's quite annoying. When you decide to get rid of it, it wants to hang around. And then I want you to take the sticky side and I want you to take one of these Sharpies and on the soft side, pay attention to which way you do it, on the soft side, I want you to write, what is your area of stuckness? Where are you stuck? Is it the area of lust? One person came in for prayer in the last service and talked about pride is an area that they're stuck in. And then on the bristly side, I want you to take that and I want you to write on the back of it, I want you to write the effects that you're feeling, the abrasiveness that you're feeling. Because this same person, I said, so what is the, the dark side of your pride? She said, I feel empty. Another person came and said, obedience. I don't want to do what God says. I'm stalled out. Another person lifted off three or, listed off three or four addictions that they're dealing with. Again, I want you to be thinking of your life and where you are stuck And then I'm going to want you to take this sticky piece of Velcro and I'm going to want you to put it in your pocket and carry it around for the next week. Anytime you change your clothes, you take your Velcro with you because I want you to be reminded you're constantly in a battle on this. Simon was a free man, saved, baptized, discipled by Philip himself, but yet he was still bound. Here's the second contradiction that we should not live. As a bound man, if you recognize today, if you're bound today, you recognize I'm bound in the area of lust. And what do you get with lust? You get the abrasive side of lust because you lose your marriage, you lose your character, you lose your integrity. I'm bound in anger. I, I, I can't get free of the anger that I feel. And what is it? I, 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 I lose my family. I, I, I lose my job. I lose, I lose my character. I lose my children. I've hurt them. What is it? There are two sides. When you're ready to outburst, when you're ready to let go, what is it? And you think about it right now. But here's the second thing we don't want to miss. As a bound person, I don't pursue freedom. See, for some of us, and next week, I can't tell you this enough. You need to just prepare yourself. Next week, we're going to get down and dirty. And we're going to start talking about specifics. And in some of this, listen, some of this, some of you, you look at your life and you really are okay with God having 80% of your life. Because you want the other. 
20%. You want the other for yourself. You kind of nurse these babies along. You kind of have the area that you're stuck in. But you know what? You really don't care. You're kind of enjoying your sin. And here's the problem is you're bound, but you're not pursuing freedom. That's a contradiction. You need to be pursuing freedom. And how do I get there? Peter turns right around and he gives them an imperative. In fact, he gives them two imperatives. Commands. Here's This is what you've got to do, Simon. You're stuck here. You're bound here. You're wrapped up. You're woven in your sin. And you have got to do this, A and B. But I love it. Because Simon turns right around and he gives Peter an imperative command. And I want to turn these around into questions and let you answer these questions in your own heart today. The first question, is there a willingness in me to change? And to be really honest, some of us have become accustomed to living in the dark bucket If you were to change, it would mean confrontation. If you were to change, your family might reject you. If you were to change, you would have to give up some things. And you don't want to give up some things. Are you willing to change whatever it is that is holding you back and that is keeping you back? Are you you willing? Think about that. Because this is what Peter said. The very first command he said in verse 22, he says, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Repent. Change. Get it out of here. Get rid of it. What is it that is you're so used to? You've been wearing it, carrying it, doing it for so long that it's become a part of you. You don't see it or you can't get free from it. Please figure out how to rip it out of your life and get rid of it. Mark Driscoll said it like this, either kill your sin or your sin will kill you. Number two, is there a desire to pursue a relationship with Christ? Now, that's not exactly how Peter said it. Peter said this, you need to pray to the Lord. But I'll tell you right now, prayer is about a relationship. Prayer is about a relationship with God. You listening to God, God listening to you. It's a conversation back and forth. You only have that through a relationship. Do you have, are you willing to have, are you willing to pursue a relationship with Him? You cannot, listen to this, you cannot white-knuckle stuckness out of your life. You know what I mean by white-knuckling it? I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to put it aside. I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to start doing it, whatever it is for you. You can't just white-knuckle it. There's going to have to be the divine intervention. Peter said, first of all, repent. Change your life. Be willing to change your life. Be willing to change your attitude. Be willing to change your philosophy. Be willing to change. If you're not willing to change, next week, don't come back. Because we're going to start talking about how we change. The second thing he said, though, you got to pray. you got to be in an intimate relationship with God. Now, man, I want to talk to you for just a moment. And ladies, you can zone out. In fact, don't listen to this part, Okay. For me, as a red-blooded man, an area that I can find myself stuck in is in the area of a roaming eye and a roaming heart. 
And if I'm not careful, I'll find myself there. I'll find myself, as one person told me like this, this is the way he justified it. Oh, Mike, you can read the menu, you just can't order. I don't think that's what the Bible says, but it's what my flesh says. It's really easy to kind of go that path. Again, guys, I don't know about you, but this is a real area that I have to be mindful of. How do I find success and victory in this area of my life? And I can tell you right now, and this is a life principle for you, my ability to overcome the sin within is in direct proportion to the quality of my relationship with Jesus. If I have lost my walk with Him, if I have taken my eyes off of Him, if I've lost my passion for Him, then I find myself going on the wrong, dark path. Now that's me. And I can say this, if you're going to have victory in your life, victory over the areas where you're stuck, it's going to happen in part because you have a relationship that is nurturing and developing and becoming with Jesus Christ. But I don't want to miss number three. Because as sure as Peter puts this out there, calls him out, says, you're not right with God. You're you're missing it. In fact, I didn't even have time time to, to, to read that. In verse 21, he says, your heart is not right before God. He calls him out. And then what happens? What does Simon do? Simon turns around and he says, listen, not only am I going to pray and not only am I going to repent, he doesn't say it exactly like this. He says, but I need you to pray. So here's the question for you. Are you in a community of brothers or sisters or believers who will stand with you? Do you have people that you can be raw and honest and authentic and real with? That you can say, hey, I need prayer over this. I love Simon. He says, listen, I need to pray, but I need you to pray for me. I tell people all the time, hey, listen, if you're praying... I need, you need the prayer and I need the practice. I need you to be praying for me, okay? So just keep praying, all right? So just keep praying for me. We need to pray for one another. We need to be in a community. We need to be in a band of brothers. We need to be in a fight club. We need to have people around us that we can bond with, share with, grow with, climb with, and fall with, and that we will be praying with. I'm not making this up. This is something that, again, we don't do well in our culture. What do we do? We conceal and cope. That's how we deal with it. Keep it to yourself. Don't embarrass yourself. Keep it to yourself. Don't pray with anyone. Keep it to yourself. Don't tell anyone. This is yours. You can overcome it. White knuckle it. Get through it. Scripture does not tell us to do that. The model in Scripture is to confess and correct. Lay it out there. Tell someone you can trust. Uh, confide in someone. Get a community around you that will pray for you. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. You see everything I just shared in that one verse. Confess, pray for one another, and what happens? You'll be unstuck. You'll be on the path to being unstuck. You will fight this stuckness the rest of your life. I wish it wasn't the case, but it is absolutely the case. Lori and I have been married for 23 years this year. And I can truthfully tell you 
that we have done more praying together, growing together, more in the past four, three to four years than we did in the first 19 to 20 years. And I was still pastoring a missionary. We were still doing the church thing. We were growing in our faith, but we were growing parallel in our faith. We were growing like this. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm going, okay, okay, okay. Keep going. Kind of like that. Three to four years ago, I can't remember how long back it was. We had a good conversation about a little black bucket. And I'm going to leave it vague enough because it's still personal enough and we're still working through it enough that I don't need to give you all the details, just enough. That this little black bucket that was concealed from each other of something that had happened decades before, even before we were married, was there in, the, in, the, in, in, the, in our life. One of us didn't know about the other. And we had been married for 20, 19, 20 years at that point. I can tell you this, we have prayed more together. We have spent nights in bed holding each other's hands, crying, praying, calling out to God in freedom and victory and sometimes in defeat and sometimes crying out for mercy. But we've been doing it together in community because we became open and real about the dark bucket of our life. I say all of that so that I might encourage you to get real and to get open. Stop concealing. Start confessing. This is what we're going to do. All across the stage are Sharpies and Velcro strips. There are confession tables, if you will, located in different places in the room. And I'm going to encourage you during our response time as the band will sing and they'll come on out to just go to one of these stations, to take one of these Sharpies, to peel it back, to make sure you take the soft side and you put what allurement, where have you been suckered in? What is it that you're stuck with that has drawn you in? Again, one person put pride, but on the other's abrasive side, they put, they put empty. I'm prideful, but my pride has given me nothing but emptiness. For one, it was lust. Man, infatuation, beauty, passion. The other was loss. That abrasive side was I lose my character, I lose my family, I lose my bride. Put them together, that's the reality. That's the reality of sin. You can't get away from it. But let me also say this as well. All around the room are going to be different people. People that I've hand-selected and there are going to be some at that table and some at that table and some at that, this table and that table. And then there will be some sprinkled across the front here. And these are people that if I was in a time of needing someone to pray for me, I'd go to them in a heartbeat. And they're going to be just scattered around and they're going to be just standing there and you'll know who they are when you get to those spots. Just go and pray with them. Just, you just tell them, hey, listen, I need prayer in this area of my life. Confess your sins one to another. And pray. And what happens then? Healing can begin to flow.
Would you pray with me? Father, some of us came into this room today not even realizing what stuck looked like. But you've opened up our eyes and our hearts to seeing that being a Christian, baptized, church member, disciple, body life group leader, deacon, trustee, whatever in the church does not make me a free person. So Lord, would you help the people that are hearing this message right now to be free. And God, if there's something they're holding on to, nursing that's that that, that area of stuckness, that, that area that's got them in chains, Lord, nursing it. Lord, help them to break free today and start that process. Lord, this is, this is a time of new beginnings. This could be a time today of freedom for many. In Jesus' name I pray. Prayer partners, you be at your stations right now. This is your time.